Tune your ear to wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Project Philippians, a deep dive into one of the richest treasure mines in Scripture. I'm delighted to have you join me today for another excavation into an amazing 2,000-year-old book. Hi, friends. Welcome back. I'm so excited to have you with me again. We are on day two of our journey through Philippians. But of course, we're not studying the book of Philippians yet. We're just studying the city of Philippi uh, to get a little bit of the background details on this incredible location that Paul would later write the letter that's so famous. And uh, so we've, we left off the boys, Paul and Silas, Timothy, and their newest companion, Luke, as they're getting ready to travel over to a brand new continent. We're in Acts chapter 16. We'll be starting in verse, well, start in verse 10. When we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following, arrived at Neapolis. Okay, bunch of city names don't have to know them. If you have a map, it's awesome to be able to kind of trace it through even on uh, Google Earth. It's fun to trace this whole path along. But let me just point out one thing that this verse hints at. It says, we ran a straight course. That's a nautical term for meaning we traveled exactly in a straight line. We didn't zigzag around. And it took them how many days? Two days to get to Neapolis. Uh, interestingly, uh, it took them five days to make the return trip a few chapters later, which tells us that the wind must have been at their back on this trip. I don't know if you've ever heard of a missionary going out who said, it felt like the wind was at our back. feels like God was with us. feels like everything is pushing us forward, that the Spirit of God himself is just blowing us across this sea. And that's the excitement that was in their hearts as they were going straight across. And they landed in Neapolis, which was the port city, just a few miles southwest of uh, the main city, which we'll see in the next verse, verse 12. From there, from Neapolis, we went to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we stayed in the city for some days. So let me just pause here because we, I want to try to transport you back to that very day where they walked this eight or nine mile trip from the coast to this incredible city. And I would like to just imagine what it was like for these men as they first set foot through the city gates. Now, you need to know a little bit about Philippi. 400 years prior to this, Philippi was just a little podunk town, a little uh, village, basically. They had uh, lots of water and trees and natural resources around. And one particular resource that attracted attention, and that was some gold mines that were nearby the town. And so a king named King Philip of Macedon came by one day and said, I would like to set up shop in this town. And so he basically takes over the city. Um, it was named Crenides at that time. And he makes a deal to protect them in exchange for some of the gold. And uh, he makes a killing. It's great. And he plans to set up a home base here. And from that, sit, that place to unite all of Greece and all of Macedonia and create an army that the world had never seen before and take over the world. Well, his vision uh, was cut short because his life was cut short. But his son kept 
the vision going. His son, you may not have heard King Philip of Macedon, but you know his son. His son was named Alexander, who later became great. <laughs> and Alexander uh, renamed the city after his father, and it became from Kennedy's, it was turned to Philippi, uh, named after uh, King Philip. And of course, you know the rest of the Alexander story. He actually did create the biggest empire that the world had ever seen at that from that moment. It, uh, at his death, the dimensions of his empire were as wide and as tall as the United States, stretching from Greece all the way to India and from Egypt all the way up to the Black Sea. This huge, enormous uh, empire like the world had never seen. But sadly for him, again, Life cut short early in his uh, early 30s. Uh, he w- was killed. Uh, nobody knows exactly why. Some uh, suspect it was a mosquito bite and he died of malaria. He died and his empire crumbled. But one thing that didn't crumble was what he left behind, his language. He spoke Greek and he took Greek everywhere he went. And so Greek became the new language across the empire. And people in towns all across the empire learned to speak Greek as their second language. And that became very important because there were some Jews in this little podunk town of Jerusalem who took up the call to translate their Bible, which is our Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, into this new language, into Greek. It was the first time in the 2,000-year history of the Bible that had ever been translated into a new language, and they chose Greek because it was the new lingua franca of the entire empire. And so now, these people from this backwater country of Judea could travel anywhere in, Ju- in, in the empire and they could communicate with people whose cultures and ethnicities were wildly different from their own and they could actually speak and communicate and, and bring the scriptures. And that's exactly what Paul did. So here now, 400 years later, was another young man, maybe not much different in age from Alexander himself, traveling on the same roads that Alexander had blazed 300 years earlier. But he was not carrying a sword. He was carrying a scroll containing the Old Testament scriptures written in Greek, And unbeknownst to him, he would build an empire that would far surpass Alexander's, both in in dimensions and in longevity. And that man was Paul. And here he is, walking into this city, scrolls in hand, seeing before him this incredible Greek city. Now, I say it's a Greek city because Alexander, of course, brought the Greek culture with him too. And so the Greek architecture there, they had a forum, they had an amphitheater with Greek plays and perhaps some gladiator contests. And uh, they had temples to the Greek gods, and they had schools for the Greek scholars and the Greek philosophers, Plato, Aristotle. These were their boys, right? They had a medical school that studied Hippocrates. All the Greek great minds that have shaped all of civilization, so Western civilization, they were, they were in this city, right? They, not the people themselves, but the, the, the culture and the history. And so you can just imagine Paul's eyes as he walked in there with his companions and seeing these incredible buildings and these um, these very differently dressed people and um, these temples all around to Greek gods. But interestingly, uh, Philippi was not just a Greek city because about 100 years or 150 years after Alexander lived there, a new empire was born, the Roman Empire. And they came in and they took over 
uh, the city of Philippi. In fact, there was a battle just outside the city. One of the largest Roman battles ever was fought on the plains just underneath the the mountain of of Philippi. And there were two armies, 100,000 soldiers on each side. You should imagine this incredible conflict. And uh, the leaders of one of the armies were the men who had killed Julius Caesar, Brutus, and Cassius. And the leaders of the other army were the avengers of Julius's blood, Mark Antony and Octavian. And it was the latter two who won the battle. And later, Octavian would change his name to Augustus and become Caesar Augustus, the greatest, most powerful, most domineering emperor that the world had ever known to that point. And he decided to uh, make Philippi a Roman colony, which means he, he brought his laws there, he brought justice there, and he allowed all the soldiers from the armies to settle there. And so it completely, you know, resurfaced, recultured that city, and it became a very, from what was a Greek city, now, now it added in and layered in this Roman culture. And uh, they were very proud of their Roman heritage. Uh, so when Paul was there, a lot of the citizens would have been descendants of these great warriors from that civil war. And so here comes Paul and his three buddies, and they walk into this great city, this leading city of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and they stayed there for some days. We're not told how many days. There's some clues later on that uh, makes it clear that it was weeks at least, but we're not told how long they stayed. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, the first Sabbath day there, we went outside the gate to a riverside. Now that's interesting because if you have studied the book of Acts, you know that that's not Paul's normal. His normal thing was when he came into a city, he would go to a synagogue. That would be the first place he would go. Uh, Later in one of his books, he says, I'll go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And so he would have normally gone to a synagogue. This tells us that there probably wasn't a synagogue in the city because there probably wasn't enough Jews in the city. There had to be 10 men, 10 Jewish men for them to form a synagogue. So there probably wasn't even that many. And so he goes down to the river because he supposes that they were, there would be a place of prayer there. Um, that was a common tradition for Jews to, to assemble at a river uh, for their Jewish rituals. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So they were right in their suspicion that there was a place of prayer. Uh, there weren't apparently any men, any Jewish men at all, but there were some Jewish women. And in fact, one in particular who wasn't even a Jew, but she was just there because she had learned about God. And we learn about her in verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. Oh, a lot of details describing this lady. Uh, It's really fascinating. First of all, her name was Lydia or that could actually be her name, or it could be the place from which she's come comes from, because Thyatira, the city that she's from, uh, is in a country called Lydia. Now, interestingly, this Thyatira is right in the place where, in our last session, we learned that Paul and Silas tried to get into the western part of Asia Minor, but they were prevented by the Spirit of God. Well, that's exactly where Thyatira is. So God hadn't forgotten about that. He wasn't like, you know, uh, disregarding the people of Western Asia. He had a plan for them too. He just had a different plan. And so he's reaching the Thyatiran uh, in Philippi. 
I think that's so so cool. And it says that she was a seller of purple fabrics. Purple was a very luxurious uh, fabric that only royalty and upper echelon were able to afford this type of fabric. So it was a it was a luxury item, and she was apparently a successful entrepreneur, business lady, uh, had her own business. Doesn't mention a husband at all. So it says it was she was the seller. So she probably had a home in Thyatira and another home in Philippi. And we're going to learn that it's probably a, a larger home. And so so this is a successful woman who also says a worshiper of God. And that's a, a, a specific term that's used a number of times in the book of Acts. And it's always used about Gentiles who have come to the Jewish faith. So they're basically proselytes or people who have come to realize that the God of the Old Testament really is the true God. And they've accepted, they may not have become a full Jew, but they have adopted the Lord God as their own Lord. And uh, so she is this successful, forward-thinking woman who loves God and is praying with the Jews down by the river, and she has no idea who she's about to meet. Because here comes this fella. He probably was dressed very differently than, than the Greeks, and he was probably, you know, dirty from all of his travels. And here comes this guy walking up, and he tells her a story. And he tells her something that so grips her heart that she becomes a believer. Let's read it in the words. She was a worshiper of God and she was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, I would love to have heard the conversation. I would love, couldn't you imagine what, what, what was he saying? What was the gospel message that he shared? If we had time, I would take you back to Acts 13, where uh, we're given a representative sample of the types of sermons that he, he did preach on his uh, missionary journeys. And uh, let me just read just the concluding verses of that sermon from Acts 13, verse 38. He, after he told the story of the, uh, the Jewish history and how it was brought to fulfillment through the resurrection of Christ, uh, then in verse 38, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, Everyone who believes is freed or justified from all the things that you could not be justified through the law of Moses. And so this gospel of redemption, of justification through belief in Jesus, that's clearly the core of his message. And it says that when he was saying these words to Lydia, what happened? God opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul was saying. It, it's just a beautiful picture of the fact that when you were saved, when you first came to Christ, you didn't do it because it just made sense. You didn't do it just because you were convinced. You did it because God opened your heart. That's what he's doing in this Gentile woman's life. He's opening her heart so that she can believe. And uh, we're going to hear some words from her in just a minute. But it's interesting to me that that his that Paul's sermon wasn't even notable enough to be mentioned here. He doesn't even record a single word of what he said. But what we do hear is the impact that it made in this woman's heart. Verse 15, she said, When she and her household had been baptized... She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So this, 
This lady is so transformed by this message of redemption and forgiveness that comes simply through belief that she gets baptized right away and her household with her. Uh, we don't know who is in her household. Again, no mention of a husband, but she might have been a widow uh, and had some children. Her house probably was large enough that she had servants and they would have been considered part of the household. And they, she just is so excited about it. She shares it with all of her loved ones and they all become baptized. And then she, her heart is so turned to wanting to serve God that she immediately just springs out in hospitality and invites Paul and his companions to come and stay with her. And now you need to know something about Paul. He, that was not, he's not usually inclined to taking anything from people. In fact, he, he um, was proud about the fact that he did not receive any funds or any assistance from the people that he preached to. It was very important to him, but she was so uh, insistent that she, it says she prevailed upon us. And so they went and they, they stayed in her home and it became the new center of Christianity in this city. And we're going to see more details of that later on in the chapter, um, that this is, becomes the new, that like the headquarters for the Christian plant that's just budding, that's just bursting out of the ground, just one person first and then her household, and, and there will be more to come in chapters ahead. But I just want to end this morning by just reminding you that God has a plan. It may not seem like it right now. He, you may have those closed doors that you're still dealing with, but God has a plan and he is going to not only open the doors, but he is the one who will open hearts. You know, I have a daughter uh, who's just precious to me and uh, she's grown and out of the house now. But when my wife was still pregnant and we learned that she was going to be a girl, I wanted to name her Lydia. That was that was my contribution to the story. But I got voted down, and, and um, we didn't we didn't call her that. But I I, I just loved this story so much that I wanted to call her Lydia. And the other night I was I was just reflecting on that when I was reading this story because um, my daughter now she's she's just a, like I said just a precious uh, precious child to me. But uh, she's not uh, walking with the Lord right now. She's not interested in the things of the Lord, and so my heart's cry to God is that God would open her heart, just like he opened Lydia's heart, that he would open her heart. And you may have loved ones in your life who whose hearts are still closed to the things of God. And I just take so much peace and joy from this realization that it doesn't matter so much what you say or, or the, the words of Paul don't even seem like they're that important. It was that God was able to empower those words to open the hearts of those who are closed. And so I just want to pray right now for my listeners. Lord God, I just thank you so much that you were reminding us today that you are the opener of closed doors and you are the opener of closed hearts. And I just pray for those, those loved ones in our lives who we just are so precious to us, who need your hand to open their hearts. We pray that you would do that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It's been an honor to have you spend this time with me, but don't let it end here. May the words of God continue to resonate in your heart transform your life until the day you meet a glorious King and Savior face to face.